0: Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Threepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com.
1: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of The Real Forno Show. We are three days away from Christmas. Yes, the draft is on Thursday. And with me tonight, we have Pro Football Network draft analyst Ian Cummings. He just released a monster seven-round mock draft yesterday. And we're going to break down his first round and my first round from the mock I released for NBC Sports Edge last Wednesday. We're going to compare. We're going to contrast. We're going to talk about guys who could sneak in and fall out of the first round and finish it off with our final mock draft of the evening. And let me tell you, we're really excited And you're going to want to stick around because this is going to be the show that you need to get yourself caught up and get ready for Thursday. Stick around. New episode of The Real Forno Show is up next.
0: Welcome to The Real Forno Show. Tyler Fornis, contributor at NBC Sports Edge and USA Today's Vikings Wire along with being a member at Climbing the Pockets.
1: In the words of the great Brent Musburger, you are looking live. Welcome to another episode of The Real Forno Show. I am Tyler Fornis, and with me today, as I said, is Ian Cummings from Pro Football Network. Ian, I'm very excited to have you on because I love getting opinions of people that I really respect in talking about how this mock it is a sorry, not mock draft, the NFL draft is gonna shape out. How are you doing? Uh and how excited are you for Thursday?
2: I'm doing good, man. I'm a little burnt out, not gonna lie. I mean, it's nonstop tape watching, nonstop analysis from you know June, August until now, right? So we've been on the hamster wheel this entire time. So I'm very excited to see what happens in the NFL draft. Not going to lie, I'm also excited to kind of unwind after. But, you know, you got to get to that that apex, right? You got to get to the big event. So I'm very excited to see how it plays out. You know, I have a feeling we're going to have at least, you know, five big surprises in round one where we had no idea what was coming, right? That's always what happens. You know, you, you never know what to expect. But truly the best time of year, and I'm happy to be here.
1: Oh, absolutely. It is the best time of the year. And you can see the guy who should go to the Minnesota Vikings in the middle of the screen. And that is yeah. my Lord and Savior, Chris Olave. And let's just get jump right to it, Ian, because uh, when you look at the first, uh, the first, what should we call it? The first ten picks of each of our mock drafts, they're very similar, but there are some stark differences. And Dave is going to pull up the graphic. Listen, Nick, it, you saw me on Vikings Report; that was the Milton voice. I will maybe pull it out later. Um, just you're going to have to steal my stapler in order to get it done. So, but let's take a look. We both have Trevon Walker up at the top. But you don't think Malik Willis is going to necessarily be in play for the Detroit Lions, whereas myself, I think with how the, they are trying to build a project this team, that he is the right pick there. What made you decide Aiden Hutchinson was the smart move for the Detroit Lions?
2: Yeah, so with this mock draft, me personally, my my gut feeling is that if Aiden Hutchinson is the number one pick, then Willis becomes a legitimate contender. But I do think the Lions love Hutchinson. He just seems like a Dan Campbell guy, you know, can bite kneecaps, you know. He's got that hot motor. I wouldn't really, I wouldn't love taking him top three. He's got some, you know, physical limitations. Definitely very athletic, but the functional athleticism isn't quite there to the to the, the degree that I would want. That said, I do think if he's there, he's a homegrown guy from Michigan. You know, he's got that hot motor, never ending. You know, so I think if he's available for them, it would be really hard for Dan Campbell and the Lions to pass him up. But if he's not there, if it, if it's Hutchinson number one, then I see a scenario where maybe. You know they got to coach Willis. They got an inside look at how, what he provides off the field in the locker room. If he can be developed, if if they're comfortable with him, then maybe they take him here. Uh, I think it's a little high for any quarterback in this class at number two overall. But if he has the upside and you think that he can reach that ceiling, then that's really what the conversation comes down to. So for me, it's just is Hutchinson available? If he is available, then it seems like a Lions guy.
1: No, he does really seem like a Lions guy. But I want to touch on this functional athleticism piece because it's not something that we've heard a lot about. Obviously, PFF has the Hodge podcast, and they are very, very high on the young man, and rightfully so. He's a tremendous football player, and he sounds like a tremendous human being as well. But that functional athleticism piece—when you talk about how there are limitations there, what specifically are you
2: talking about? Like things like arm length. Guys have succeeded without elite arm length. It's not something that you need. It's more of a bonus, right? I, I think you know, especially like Trayvon Walker. You look at him. 35 inch arms that you know when you have longer arms it's a better conduit for power so you can generate easier power as we've seen with Hutchinson even though he's around 32 3 8 he can still generate pretty good power so it's not just about how long you are you know it's about you know how well you attack how well you kind of maximize your extensions so there's a lot more that goes into it that said that's not the only limitation with Hutchinson he's very tall you know he's over 6 6 I think he measured in like 6'6 5'8", right so he's a tall dude and as an edge rusher, you got to play with leverage. You got to kind of mitigate and kind of manage that leverage and, and manage your pad level. And his pad level is consistently high on tape to the point where he can't always dip under the corner. He's not the bendiest guy. He's pretty stiff in his hips. Once he gets to the apex, he could be really locks out very often, a little too often for me to say that he's this blue chip edge rusher. You know, and at the same time, he tested with very good burst on at the NFL combine, but Because he's upright out of his stance so often, you know, I do think that burst doesn't show up quite as much as you'd want it to. Again, tested very well in the three cone, but the agility, not a very efficient mover on tape. So I do think there are steps that he can take to kind of glean more athleticism from his frame. But right now, you know, kind of stiff, kind of inefficient as a mover in space and around the apex. And to me, you know, that's a little bit too much for me to take him number two overall. It's just I think it's things that you can iron out. I do think he has the upside. But right now, he doesn't quite play to his athletic numbers.
1: And another guy who doesn't play to those athletic numbers in a a different fashion is Trayvon Walker. Both of us have him going number one overall. And the traits are just evident. A 9.97 relative athletic score. Just an athletic freak. He's got incredible quickness. And he has almost zero production in comparison to Aiden Hutchinson. So as you're comparing the functional athleticism of Hutchinson and with that high production profile versus the massive traits of Walker in a system that really didn't allow him to unlock his potential as an edge rusher. What about Walker speaks to you as the number one overall pick?
2: Yeah, it's tough, man, right? Because neither Hutchinson nor Walker is my number one overall edge, right? So, you know, I'm not comfortable having the conversation revolving around them too. I think there's other players that need to be considered. That said, Right now, it looks like the buzz is kind of pointing toward either Walker or Hutchinson. So if you were confined to those two, who are you going to pick? And to me, it's Walker. I think that, you know, 6'5", 271, 35-inch arms, like I said, you know, elite power capacity. This is a guy who lined up anywhere and everywhere on that Georgia line. You know, they were stunting him all over, shading the zero-tech, shading one-tech, three-tech, out to five-tech. Even at wide nine, wide seven, you know, where he has that build-up speed where he can kind of get around the edge with a better angle. They used him everywhere they could. And I do think that while well, his immediate projection, because he didn't have very good production, is a little bit iffy. You know, like I wouldn't be comfortable taking him number one overall because, you know, as you said, very raw in the hand usage department, really defers to those two-handed extensions. That said, I do think there's a little bit of flexibility because early on, you can use him the way that Georgia used him. You can move him around all across the line and he has that power capacity to kind of, you know, win at every alignment. So, you know, a very fun player in that sense where you can mix and match. Uh, definitely needs some refinement to undergo. But to this point, you know, I do think there's an avenue where you can use him successfully early on. And if he can continue, continue to develop that hand usage, then he can be a better player later on. The tools are worth developing. And for me, you know, if you're, if you're picking a guy number one overall, you know, if it's down to these two, I'd rather pick the guy who has the blue chip ceiling. And I think Traylon Walker has that.
1: I agree completely. And you mentioned that neither one of those guys are your number one edge. Is your number one edge Jermaine Johnson or Kayvon Thibodeau?
2: So my number one edge is Jermaine Johnson. It's a little bit of a projection. It's close between them, but I really love the traits that Johnson has. Obviously, at Florida State, you know, the pass rush productivity number that that gets talked about a lot wasn't quite as high. Uh, But I know my good friend Damian has pointed out and a lot of other people, too, that, you know, he played contain a lot before rushing the passer. So wasn't always asked to pin his ears back right away. And I, when he did do it, you know, you see all the traits. He's got the burst. He's got the bend, too, especially against Boston College. There were a couple reps where he hit that cross chop at the apex, dipped under the tackle, rolled his hips through the apex, and really reduced his surface area with that ankle flexion. So he's got that bend, too. And then the senior bowl, you know, especially in one-on-ones at the senior bowl, when he was just kind of asked to straight up rush the passer, no hesitation, he was dominant the whole week, you know, with that lateral agility, the violent, fast hands, the fast feet, you know, to me. He's a very amped-up mover. and At the same time, 6'5", 254, 34-inch arms, very good power capacity. To me, there's really not a lot of boxes that he doesn't check. And then you move on to the running phase, too. Very good run defender. Might be the best run defender in the draft at this point. So, for me, Jermaine Johnson, very good profile as a pass rusher and a run defender for me that puts him over Kayvon. I love the upside with Kayvon, but... I don't think he has quite as good bend as Jermaine Johnson. I do think the Kayvon was maybe a little overrated in that department early on. He does have some ankle flexion, but his hips lock up at the apex a lot. He's not super flexible in the hips, and that kind of mitigates his acceleration around the apex. He does have very good explosiveness, very good power capacity, but again, you know, he's really kind of reliant on those traits right now. So I want to see him improve that hand usage, and maybe if he improves that, he can glean more bend around the apex. But right now, Jermaine Johnson, to me, checks all the boxes, and so he's my number one edge.
1: Understand completely. Uh, when you kind of take a look at this top ten, um, mine in comparison to yours, Ian, uh, before we move on to that next group, what kind of stands out to you as far as how we are different in this class?
2: It's a tough question, man, because I do think, you know, at this point in the draft, there's a lot of the same players that are kind of mixing and matching in the top ten. Trevor Penning at 9 is one, but I do like that you put him there because I do think he could go that high. It seems like a guy that the NFL would like. I'm not quite as high on him. I do love the athleticism and the power and the, and the nasty Mahler mentality. That's easy to win over, guys. But at the same time, a lot of technical refinement to undergo. You know, I do think if you start him right away at left tackle, maybe going to be some lumps early on. Not just you know losing reps but also drawing a lot of penalties because he's very grabby, you know, very overzealous as a blocker, kind of, you know, a lot of room for refinement there. So I could see him going that high because he seems like a guy that the NFL would like, right? But at the same time, a lot of room for refinement. The quarterback's maybe another one. You know, I'm not sure a quarterback goes quite as high. It's going to be tough to see because at the end of the day, you know, it's not just the on-field evaluation that matters. It's the off-field evaluation. Whether think whether they think that that quarterback that that person is worth investing in long term, you know that's something that each team has the resources to to make that decision. We don't necessarily have that, so that's a tough one. You know, in my mock, I had the Seahawks trading up from Malik Willis to number six, and the Panthers trading down, acquiring extra picks and getting Kenny Pickett. So maybe there's some deals included in that, but at the same time, this class doesn't seem like one where teams would trade up for a quarterback. So we'll see. Again, it all comes down to each team's individual assessment of that quarterback and whether that can be the guy.
1: No, I agree completely. This quarterback class is going to be very interesting because I only ended up with two guys in the first round, and I I could not figure out where to pair uh, either Desmond Ritter or Matt Corral, both of whom I think have a very high probability of going in the first round. But to kind of circle back to Trevor Penning, he just screams Seattle Seahawks. And it, yeah. they always beat to their own drum. They they like who they like, and they're going to take him. They're not going to give a flying crap about what anybody else thinks. He had a 99.9 run blocking grade per PFF last year. And he was just a nasty mauler on the interior. And I think that's something that Pete Carroll with how he wants to play football is going to prioritize, which is kind of why it makes sense. Otherwise that if he falls to 14 to the Ravens or 17 to the chargers, I think both could be uh, really interesting fits for him. But Penning is the guy. He could go as high as top 10. And he could go as low as like 28. He's just had yeah. such wide variance because of everything that you laid out, the technical refinement that needs to happen. 16 penalty is tied for most of the nation last year for Northern Iowa. And he's playing, I mean, the Missouri Valley is a good conference. That would probably be like the seventh or eighth best conference in the FBS, but it's still the FCS. So you're not, you're not playing – consistently good competition you're not getting north dakota and south dakota state every week so that that's a really interesting uh thing to that teams are going to have to parse out and try and figure out if they're really going to be able to take care of as we move into the second grouping that dave has these wonderful graphics prepared um there are a lot of very interesting uh picks in this this group um now, it, you'll, have, you'll have to remind me because I don't have teams and I know you did some trades. You have Jameson Williams, I believe, going to the Chiefs um, at the Vikings selection, right? Uh, yeah. I I was really in, intrigued by that trade down because they, they don't get two first-round picks this year. They get a first, a second, and a first next year. Uh, why did that trade make sense to you instead of 29 and 30, which seems to be the consensus uh, potential trade-up for the Chiefs? And why is Jameson Williams a priority over guys like Chris Olave, Traylon Burks?
2: Yeah, it was kind of an experimental thing for me, you know, with these mock drafts, and especially this one later on, you know, earlier on in August and September, those are kind of experimental, right? So I'm kind of playing with different probabilities. Now we're kind of thinking, all right, what might happen? And for the Chiefs specifically, you know, one thing that I want to explore in this mock is like, you know, if they trade up, can they keep another first round pick while doing it? Right. So I tried the trade valuation in the mock draft simulator, you know, came away with, you know, giving up a first next year and a second this year, and it accepted the trade. So I went with it. You know, I, it was just an experimental thing to see if they could keep that second first round pick. Obviously, if, the, if you're the Vikings, maybe you'd want to try and get a little bit more out of them and try and get that second first round pick in the real world. We would see, you know, obviously, if a guy like Jamison Williams drops, we've been hearing that he's going to go very high. You know, maybe there's a bidding war and that drives the price up. We will see, you know, a lot of factors to consider. But here it was just, you know, for the Chiefs, can you keep that second first round pick? Because obviously, you know, the strength of this class is kind of that depth in that 25 to 35 range. That's where you can get some very good players. So keeping that pick and then getting the 12th overall pick as well could very well be in your favor. So that was kind of how it played out for the Vikings. You know, we've seen reports that maybe they want to trade back. And I think this is the class to do it for sure. So getting that extra capital and the trading back at the same time, filling more needs. You know, I thought it could be mutually beneficial for each team, but you know, in a different scenario, maybe the Vikings try and get that 30th overall pick. Oh, and, and also Jameson Williams. I met, I forgot to bring up Jameson Williams and why he's uh, you know the choice over Chris Olave. Really just the speed. But I mean, the, the generational speed, I mean, it's not just regular speed. It's long strider. You know, like he opens up his strides and he's gone in open space. I do think he can be a complete receiver on top of that too. You know, a little bit of a wiry frame but very good hip sync very good stopping ability we saw the stop and go against georgia was lethal right he has that ability to use those micro movements to his advantage very long frame good body control so i think for the chiefs getting that dynamic weapon you know as long as he's proven that he can be healthy and i know that you know recent reports are optimistic that he's gonna make a full recovery maybe even be available for, for part of the 2022 season you know if that's the case then getting that guy in your wide receiver room isn't a bad thing at all i think he's you know one of the most dynamic weapons in this draft and you know he's definitely worth the pick
1: i agree he's worth the pick and i find it interesting that they almost try to get a tyree kill replacement by selecting jamis williams because as you mentioned that start stop ability it's on an elite level and what he's able to do in taking over against a team like georgia who just has a myriad of elite defenders on that unit and it's it's insane the talent riches. But the one thing the Vikings fans are going to ask, and I'm going to put you on the spot here. You passed on both Kayvon Thibodeau and Derek Stingley Jr., both of whom have been very hot topics among Vikings fans and in circles and just having conversations and trying to predict how the top 11 is going to go and see who's available at 12. Um, Obviously, the trade down nets incredible value for the Vikings, and that speaks to it for itself. But why does the trade down make more sense for you been taking either Thibodeau or Stingley both of whom are blue chip talents and fit needs for the Vikings
2: yeah and I will start with this it doesn't necessarily make more sense it's just with a mock draft what you want to do is play different probabilities right so I can't you can never box yourself into one thing with one mock draft you know if, if I was to flip a coin 100 times you know probably 50 times I picked Derek Stingley at, at 12 and then 50 times maybe try and get a deal trade back Derek Stingley is a phenomenal value there and I would just as soon pick him because he's a top five player for me but for the vikings in this in this mock draft i was thinking you know can i get the same value because we know this corner class especially at the top you know there's a lot of guys you could consider in round one you know even beyond stingley and gardner uh there's you know Trent mcduffie there's kyler gordon there's andrew booth who i absolutely love there's kyler Kyler elam who i'm a big fan of too you know so a lot of guys a very it's a pretty strong corner class at the very top so i'm thinking if you're the vikings if you're set on picking a corner. Maybe you can get a trade back and still get a guy that you really like at 29 and get extra capital as well. So it's all about the value equation, trying out different things. But I would just as soon pick Derek Stanley. You know, I do think that he's a top five talent. And for me personally, you know, very good fit for that Viking scheme as well. So it all depends on, you know, what you're doing in that mock draft in that particular scenario. Um, there's a lot of different probabilities to play out. And this is my first mock that I tried trades to. So I really wanted to go all in with it, just try different things. And, you know, that was kind of how it felt, uh, how it felt.
1: Hey, that makes total sense when you're you're talking about a value perspective. And considering Kwasi Adolfo Mensah's background, working hedge funds on Wall Street, I think that's a really interesting uh, conundrum that we really haven't explored too much as far as Vikings analysts. What happens if you still trade down with those guys on the board? So I really appreciated that perspective. Uh, My pick for the Vikings ended up being Chris Olave with a trade down from 12. They pick up an extra third round pick, and the Chargers go up and get Charles Cross, who opposite of uh, Rashawn Slater I just think gives them a tremendous tackle tandem but Olave for me just represents everything that Justin Jefferson does extremely well except the after catch ability and I think with a strength and conditioning program he can really grow and develop that element of his game and when you have guys like Jackson Smith and Jigba and Garrett Wilson on your team you don't necessarily get a ton of opportunities to utilize those elements of your game because they are so good at it and utilize in a little bit of a different way. As far as my projection of Chris Olave to the Minnesota Vikings, um, do you like the fit? And uh, maybe potentially should I have gone in a different direction in your opinion?
2: I like the fit for sure. And I like Olave. I I do like Garrett Wilson a little bit better. I, I do think Olave, you know, a little bit shorter wingspan. Right. But at the same time, Looking at what he he does well, you know, obviously I think he's more of that technician, that methodical route runner, whereas Wilson is more of that slasher. I know Damian used that word too. I love that phrase for it. You know, he's that guy who uses those abrupt lateral motions to manipulate defensive backs. With a lot of it, it's more using that methodical acceleration and sneaking into his zones, you know, and really he's got very good spatial awareness. That's the thing that pops for me on tape is that he's got that spatial awareness where he can really manipulate defenders that way. You know, easy throttle control acceleration, but also has the hip sync, that stopping ability, very good ball tracking ability when the ball comes his way. You know, for me, a very solid receiver. And I do think that working with, you know, Adam Thalen, who's getting older and Justin Jefferson, you know, uh, to me, Chris Olave, I don't know who he reminds me of. I got I to gotta work on a comp for that. Probably, he's going to be around a while. I know that. He's a guy who you could see having a 10-year career, you know, just a thousand yard seasons, and no one bats not. Right? I feel like that's Chris Olave, very reliable in each phase. I do think Garrett Wilson, a little bit more of an aggressive run-after-catch threat. That's something that I like from him. I think Olave is more of your, you know, he's going to sneak into those open zones. He's going to do what he needs to do to get open and get separation and make those catches when the ball comes his way. That's valuable in its own right, too. So I look at him, you know, fitting that Vikings offense. You know, I do think Justin Jefferson drawing all that attention can help free of Alave and then vice versa. They get that symbiotic relationship going. I do love the fit. And I think especially I think the more important thing is the trade down. You know, you get that value. You get that extra draft capital that helps you out even more. So. I like the fit. I especially like the value at 17, if you can get it. And especially for Kirk Cousins too, you know, a is a guy, you can get him on drag routes. He's got that acceleration. You can get him on, you know, he's, he's got a very wide route tree too. And I think that'll help early on. I
1: agree completely. Uh, one last question for you in this group, and then I'll, I'll kind of turn the floor over to you for any questions um, on my side of the, the aisle. Desmond Ritter, Ritter at 20 to the Pittsburgh Steelers. I am not the most, I'm not the highest guy in Desmond Ritter. And we obviously know that the group chat thinks he's just the greatest thing since sliced bread and thinks that he's just a fantastic football player. But I have major concerns that I really never saw progress to a level that would make me comfortable taking him in the first round. I think his ceiling is that of Alex Smith, a quarterback that you can win with if everything is really nice around him, but not somebody you're going to win because of. Um, does your opinion on Ritter differ from mine at all? And why did you feel like he was a great fit in this scenario to the Pittsburgh Steelers?
2: Yeah. So for Pittsburgh, it's interesting. Uh, I think having 20th pick, you know, they signed Mitchell Trubisky, which to me doesn't preclude them from taking the quarterback. I think more than anything, especially in this weak quarterback class, you know, it it prevents you from having to trade up, getting worked into a corner. That's always good having that insurance plan. But if a guy like Ritter does fall to you at 20 and you don't have to trade up and, and give up extra capital to get him, maybe that's the right way to go for such a value position as quarterback. Right. So, you know, I always take that into account with Ritter you know i just finalized him today and you know i started out pretty harsh on him again like my 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 view was and it still is that after 4 years i'd like to see more refinement on the mechanical spectrum you know still very very rough there you know there's a lot of times where the lower body is really inconsistent footwork staggered on the drop back he's got that heel click you know and he doesn't always get the proper hip rotation and then the release can be very winding can can be very incongruent and that causes passes to sail you know the accuracy is still pretty hot and cold right but I do really like the processing. I do think that he's shown that he can process leverage quickly, identify one-on-one matchups. You know, he sees the field very well. He's got good field vision. I think that a lot of the stuff up here is very good. I just think that, you know, the mechanics are so rough that the process undermines a lot of that early on. So I think, you know, he's got good athleticism. He's got a good arm for sure. Not quite the Malik Willis arm. I, I think it's Willis and Carson Strong at the top of the class in that, in that respect. But I do think Ritter has a starter's arm. So if you can develop the mechanic uh, he can be a very good player. It's just a matter of, you know, it's going to take a lot. At the same time, you know, mechanics can tend to be a habit for quarterbacks, right? Very hard to break. I do think that getting the opportunity to sit behind Mitch Trubisky for a little bit, you know, have Trubisky be that bridge quarterback, maybe give uh, Ritter an opportunity to develop and grow behind the scenes. We'll see. You know, I think that's really the the best hope for him. But I do think the tools are worth taking round one, especially in this class. I think he's one of the better processors in this class. And that's enough for me to you know, take him early on if he has the physical traits, which I think he does.
1: That is a very well-reasoned explanation. We appreciate that here on the show, Ian. Um, do you have anything on this group of uh, 10 picks that really stands out to you?
2: Not, not much, man. Garrett Wilson to the Saints. Is that on your mock? I love that fit. I love that fit. I think it's a good value too. Uh, Andrew Booth to the Steelers as well. I love that too, man. Booth is one of my top players, man. So I, I, it's, it's rough seeing him fall. I know the injury concerns play into, play into that a lot, but great foot speed on tape, very good twitch and fluidity and the length and the ball skills in midair. You know, there's a lot to like for sure. And I, and I look at him. I think he could be one of the seals of this draft. Uh, jordan davis going to uh 18 that's a good one too I, I think that's the eagles right that's the eagles second pick yep they love those four three under schemes so you know that four three under front you know you've got the on ball sam the strong side de the three tack and then the nose tackle that zero tack where you need him to two gap and kind of Occupy blocks. I think Jordan Davis is very good at that. We know the Eagles like him. So I actually mocked him to uh, the Eagles at 15. So we got a match there. But uh, yeah, overall, it, this is one of the funnest ranges of the draft, kind of seeing how different things fall into place, you know, in that 10 to 20 range. There's always a top five prospect that slips in this range. And and the question is, who's going to take that guy? So I'm excited to see who it is this year.
1: No, I, I completely agree. This is where things are going to really really determine the rest of the draft because the strength of this draft is arguably between 11 and about 70, where if you have a lot of picks in that range that you're going to really be able to maximize your value. And as we kind of move forward in uh, our mock draft comparison here, uh, the last 12 picks, I think based on how we had everything set up in the teens is how we're going to have everything kind of shape out here at the end. Um, We both love the idea of Daxton Hill at number 30 to the Kansas City Chiefs. And even though we kind of went a little bit of a different route for them to get there, um, I had the Chiefs staying at 29, and you had them trading out. But Daxton Hill, to me, he's not a one to one comparison to to Mathau um, or Matthew. I, I've been saying that wrong for a decade plus, yeah. and I don't know why. Um, it's not a one to one comparison. If you wanted to do that, you're, you're going to take Jalen Petrie. But Hill is just a tremendous player that you can be so multiple with him and with how Steve Spagnuolo loves to run a massively aggressive defense. I think he just is a, is a fantastic fit. How do you see him fitting in with that defense?
2: Yeah, I think you can play him anywhere. Real quick, I saw a comment about Kair Elam being underrated and I want to co-sign on that. I love Kyir Elam. He's a top fifteen player for me. I love the athleticism, the fluidity, the explosiveness. Uh, he's very physical as well. He misses tackles coming downhill, but I think in coverage, everything you need, a former wide receiver, so those instincts show up as well. But moving to Daxon Hill for the Chiefs, I do think, you know, you can play him anywhere. You know, that's the fun that's the fun part. And really with, you know, the top three safeties in this class. All different molds with very fun projections, very exciting projections. Daxon Hill in particular, he played in the slot a lot for Michigan. I have to think that's where he's going to play a lot at Kansas City, but you don't have to box him in there. I think the the beauty with Daxon Hill is that, you know, offenses are changing so much pre-snap this, you know, in in the modern NFL. If you need him to move around, he can. If you need him to shade out to the boundary, he's fluid enough to do that. If you need him to go too high, you know, drop back into, into the deep zone, he's got the explosiveness and the positioning to play there and he's got the range for single high too. You know, I I really like the versatility that he provides and you talk about the Spagnolo defense, physical, he's very physical. You know, aggressive on the blitz. I mean, you can you can move this guy all around, closing speed on the blitz like no other safety in this class and then at the same time, he's got over 32-inch arms, so he passes the length threshold that Spagnolo likes as well. So, very physical, a bigger safety with elite athleticism and versatility, you know, I think for this secondary, you know, especially so you having some movement in the offseason, having that glue guy who you can move anywhere and have him play at a high level, uh, a very valuable thing. And I think worth more than, you know, worth more than the first round pick would you know imply. I really think that he can have game changing potential for them.
1: I really think he can, too. And there's just a lot, lot to like from your last 12 picks here, Ian, because I'm just kind of looking at the fits. Booth Jr. to the Patriots. Drake London and the Packers, I think, is an element that isn't being talked about enough because they do have those size thresholds. And uh, there was a lot of conversation about them just being the land of the Giants for the receiver room. They love those big guys. Um, Carl Loftus is an interesting fit at 23. Traylon Burks just feels like he's going to be a Dallas Cowboy if he's available just because of the Jerry Jones-Arkansas connection and the obsession with taking wide receivers. The one I really want to get to is Kyler Gordon at 25. To the Buffalo Bills, um, you have uh, players on the board like Trent McDuffie. You have uh, both Daxton Hill, Lewis Steen available as well. Both guys can kind of play in that slot role. Like, Kyler Gordon going this high is not something we've really seen since uh, Daniel Jeremiah really explored that with one of his first mock drafts. And he was one of the first people that was really high on Kyler Gordon. Kind of a, a raw guy, only had... About a thousand career snaps at Washington over his career. Why do you value him this highly in this scenario to the Buffalo Bills?
2: Yeah, and so you know, obviously thinking about the mock draft, thinking about the different probabilities, of course. And after his pro day, you know, everyone was talking about after the combine because he ran in the four fives, which you know isn't a slow time for a corner. He was, I think, early four or five too. So, but he was talking. People were talking about him as a faller, right? And then he kind of put that to rest at the pro day with, I think, the 39-inch vert, you know, very good agility times, I think 3-cone and the 6-6. But the more important part is in those open field drills, this guy's very fluid and extremely efficient as a mover. He was a former ballet, you know, and that, that translates. You know, it seems it seems unorthodox, but, you know, the efficiency of motion, you know, no wasted movement, that's something that shows up on Kyle Gordon's tape. He's su- such an efficient, fleet-footed mover, and I love that about his game. In the Bills' particular case, you know, they – They've traditionally favored length at corner. You know, Levi Wallace, when he was there, I think he had over 32-inch arms. So definitely a longer guy. Trey White, pretty long for his size, too. Kyler Gordon doesn't quite have elite length, but I do think you look at Trent McDuffie, you know, as good of a player as he is, and I think he might be the better player right now among those Washington corners, he does have sub-30-inch arms. That might knock him off for some teams who have those length thresholds. And I look at the Bills, who might be one of those teams, right? So I look at them. Maybe they prefer Kyler Gordon. you look at Gordon, he's definitely you know not quite as refined as Trent McDuffie at this point but I do think he's shown the necessary processing capacity and then you look at how he plays on the field explosive very very efficient you know really good short area athleticism to match guys and then at the same time he's got very good ball skills he's super physical you know I think right now he's just scratching the surface of what he can become and in that Buffalo Bills defense you know you might be able to unlock that talent.
1: I think you can unlock it too and it One last question, and then I'll I'll turn it over to you to uh, see who you have questions about on my side. Matt Corral at 32 to the Detroit Lions. I really like the idea of trying to capitalize on that fifth-year option, and Matt Corral is a very, very unique projection. Uh, As we kind of dealt with uh, concerning the air raid about five years ago with guys like Patrick Mahomes coming into the National Football League playing in a very unorthodox system that was thought to not translate at all. And now you're seeing air raid elements all throughout football. RPO elements have been throughout football ever since 2017 when the Eagles made that uh, improbable Super Bowl run with Nick Foles. Matt Corral ran an incredibly RPO-heavy offense where he's utilizing half-field reads. 70-some percent of his passes were uh, within like five, six yards. Like We're talking about somebody who did not do a lot down the field, did not run NFL concepts. But the tools are there. He's got that extra element of the rushing ability, and he's tough as nails, wanting to continue to play even though he was beat to an absolute pulp because the Ole Miss receivers just could not stay healthy, and he had to carry the team on his shoulders. How do you parse all that out as far as your projection? Why do you believe he is a first-round quarterback? At least you do in this scenario. And how do you feel like his success in the NFL is going to look?
2: Yeah, so I think with this scenario, it's always interesting. I think the Lions, in particular, are an interesting one because they have that second overall pick, and then they have the 32nd overall pick, right? So you have Jared Goff, but in my opinion, he's only a bridge guy, right? So if you can get a guy without having to trade up, again, the 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 key word is value, right? We were talking about that with the Steelers at 20, you know, not having to trade up for a quarterback and being able to get Desmond Ritter. You know, it's kind of a similar idea here. If you can get a guy that falls to you at 32 without having to trade up. Get that fifth year option. You still keep all your extra capital. Maybe that's the way to go. And they have another pick at thirty four too, so they could even wait a little bit if they don't worry about the fifth year option. But you know, for a quarterback, usually that's what you want to do. And especially for the Lions, who whoever you're picking at thirty two, it's probably not going to start in twenty twenty two. So developmental track will be delayed a little bit. So it, by that fifth year, maybe that's when you're really figuring out who this guy is, right? So you know, a lot of factors to consider. But if you're the Lions, I think Matt Corral, you know, Corral and Howell both strike me as guys that might, you know, have fans of Dan Campbell because the competitive toughness is not lacking in either one. You know, Sam Howell is more of that boxy quarterback. You know, he just bowls over guys. He's super physical. Uh Matt Corral, you know, plays physical as well. His frame is a little bit lighter. So you're kind of concerned about the durability, the longevity there, but he's very physical. He's a, you know, elite competitor at the quarterback position. The concerns with Corral, you know, there are many of them. I do think that, the offense was very much a training wheels offense in 2021 or 2020. Yeah. 2021 back in 2020, you know, it was a gunslinger, but was very turnover prone coming into 2021. It seemed like, you know, Kiffin really restricted him, restricted his freedom. And when he was asked to do more, when more was put on his plate, Wasn't very impressive. The field vision was, I came away very questionable on that. You know, sometimes he didn't see open receivers. You know, there's a lot of times where he wasn't being able to go through full field reads efficiently. And the decision making was a little off sometimes too. So there is a lot to work, you know, to work on. But there's also a lot to work with. You talk about the athleticism. Very good creator, you know, with the ball in his hands. And then the arm is very elastic. Not the strongest arm in the class, but I do think it's strong enough to be a starter. And then you factor in the competitive toughness. Maybe this is a guy who can become more if you get him in that quarterback room. So either him or Howell, you know, I think could be options at 32. Maybe Carson Strong, but we've heard that he didn't interview very well. He's also got the limited mobility. That's impacting his stock. So we'll see. But I think if you're the Lions, any of those quarterbacks, if they're still on the board here at 32, and maybe if Ritter drops, right, you know, it seems like from what we've been hearing, Willis and Pickett are probably going in the top 15 or 20. You know, those seem like the top two uh, in most mocks that come out. But if someone falls to 32 and you don't have to trade out for him, then at a, at a position as valuable as quarterback, that may be a, a risk worth taking.
1: I agree completely. And Carson Strong is a very interesting one. As you mentioned, Mel Kuyper jr. Gave him a fifth round grade, which to me, uh, it doesn't make sense. But, um, one question for you, as you kind of take a look at this last of the board, and then we're going to kind of look at guys who could potentially jump up or fall out of the first round. Um, what what were what are your big takeaways from this grouping um of players that we had going at the back end of the first round?
2: Yeah, so this is real quick, this question right here, who fits the Vikings better, Scene or Petrie? Me personally, I like Scene better. I think he's a lot more versatile and he's actually a top ten player on my board. I'm very high on what he has to offer. I think that the tape, you know, not only coming downhill and laying the wood and being that enforcer, but he's actually very consistent in every phase, you know, with a safety position. They have so much on your on their plate. You expect them to be a little up and down. And don't get me wrong. Seen lost a few reps, but largely his Georgia tape is phenomenal. I mean, this is a guy who on the back end is managing space very well. You know, he's very explosive, very fluid. You know, I think, yeah, he can play that big slot. He's fluid enough to do that. He's six foot two, 199. He's got some of the best range in the class. I think if you want to play single high, he can do that too. You know, really that mix and match guy. Whereas with Jalen Petrie, I think, you know, he plays the slot very well. He can be that star defender but I'm not as confident in him as in him in deep coverage. I think he's got, he's a little bit of a projection there. So there is uh, that element to it. I prefer seen, but uh, I like both guys and the bottom line, you might not be able to get seen in round two. You might be able to get Petrie in round two. So the value plays in there, you know, going back to the board here uh, from, I think uh, 22, 32 here, uh, yeah, there's some ones that are standing out to me on your board here. I mean, I think uh, Zion Johnson, the Cardinals. I love that one. I think it's great value. Uh, Kyer Elam to the Patriots. I love too. I think that he can be, fit very well in that system. Uh, Tyler Smith, the Packers picks. I guess. Well, actually, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Bills pick Tyler Smith to the Bills. What kind of went through he your mind of that one? Because I am going to the Saints.
1: Um, that that was a trade up. Oh. So, oh okay. uh, the Bills that gave up a second to go up and get Burks, and then the Saints end up taking Tyler Smith. I just think when you look at Teron Armstead in trying to replace him, I, I feel like Vicky Loomis is going to try to go back to the well. They're not going to necessarily be able to get him in the fourth round, but the upside and traits of Tyler Smith, the fact that he's only 20 years old, and you're going to be able to really build around him with how strong the interior of that, that offensive line is, he's going to be able to, to at least get a little bit of help early on from those interior guys. He's got all the physical traits and tools. He's got the size, the length. He just needs to figure out his footwork, how to use his hands better, and just how to be a smarter player when he's facing elite pass rushers. And when you have an offense that's built the way the Saints is, I think they can nurture that and try and figure it out on the fly.
2: Yeah, I agree completely. And I think, too, you know, in your mock, Trevor Penning going top 10. If Penning can go top 10, then Tyler Smith can go round one. I don't I don't I think it's a reach for both of them. Don't get me wrong. But it can happen if, if they value them that highly. So we'll see. The NFL teams, you know, they tend to think, hey, we can develop this guy. And sometimes that's that's all it takes.
1: Absolutely. And the big thing with Tyler Smith, traits and age. He's got both on his side. And that's really going to be an interesting one. Um, real quick before we get to this mock drafting in, um, one guy from you, uh, from as far as who could sneak into the first round, that would be a surprise. And one guy you think might be able to fall out that's consistently projected as a first round pick
2: one guy that might be able to fall out and i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of cheat here i saw a comment about him, Tyler linderbaum the center out of iowa you know he's a phenomenal player i think he's he's very he's very um smart you know he's got a high football iq you see how he processes leverage in those tight spaces very impressive and then at the same time very athletic player obviously tested very well at his pro day uh, a little bit underweight, that's the thing. And, and that shows up on tape. I do think he has good play strength, enough functional strength to, to play on the interior. But some teams might think he's more confined to his own scheme. And that might push him down a little bit. We saw last year Creed Humphrey fell to the bottom of the second. He was a first-round player all the way on my board. So I think Linderbaum might have a similar fall based on positional value and you know perceived scheme limitations. And then he'll go on to be a 10-year starter, like the comments said, who might sneak into the first round. Uh, you've got a good one there, Christian Watson from North Dakota State. I think that the upside is there with him. You know, very much a, a work in progress as a pure receiver. You know, the catching instincts can be a little hot and cold. Not a very developed uh, route runner, but he's got the run after catch ability, the elite athleticism and space, and the size too. I mean, all the traits are there. And then if I can, if I can throw another one out, Arnold Katie out of Penn State, the edge rusher. I am very high on this guy, and I do think you know, age isn't quite on his side. He's going to be twenty three years old, but. He's got all the traits. You know, he's a little bit smaller at around 6'2 and 3'8, 251, 34-inch arms, though. So great proportional length, great power capacity. He's explosive. He's twitchy. He's got ankle flexion, hot motor, violent hands. I, I absolutely love Epikidi's game. and I'm very high on I mean, him. He's a top 20 guy for me. But I do think if if someone likes him enough, he could sneak in around one. And I think he'd be worth it.
1: So one guy I want to ask you about that, I, th- I think personally can sneak in around one just because he has everything going for him but experience and and just uh, flashes of zero technique. And that's UTSA cornerback Tariq Wallen. And I know there's been a lot of conversation about him throughout the process because he's only a two-year player at the cornerback position, but he's a legit 6'4", 210 with great length and a 99th percentile athlete for the position just with great speed and very capable quickness. And because of how long he is, If he gets beat, he has the ability to come back with that speed, quickness, and length in order to really disrupt the route. Do you think that there's any chance that he sneaks in just with how incredible those tools are for a team like the Detroit Lions or the Kansas City Chiefs who can afford with a longer term play to take a risk on a player with this kind of upside?
2: There's always a chance. I'll say that. And I do think, especially with the Chiefs, they have that strict length threshold. You know, they usually don't take corners that are under it, right? So I do think that maybe if they really like him, if they really like the upside, it's worth taking. I will say he's a lot more upside than, you know, guaranteed utility right now you know it's it's a lot of projection for sure and maybe a little too much for me to be comfortable taking him around one i love him on day two especially in zone dominant schemes like cover three you know i think he'd be very good there but it is still projection there as well i do think that the the one thing that gives me solace is that you know i mean obviously the tools right i mean six four two ten like you said arms longer than Kayvon Thibodeau a very very uh a very wide disruptive window and he as a former wide receiver he's got the ball skills too he tracks the ball well you know, I, I do think one reason you don't see a lot of taller corners in the NFL is because as a corner, you need to be able to gather yourself and sink your hips and, and efficiently change direction, and that can be a little tougher for taller guys. So it's a problem with Woolen too. I do think he's pretty fluid for his size, but overall, it's not a strength for him, and he's going to have to keep refining his technique. That said, you know, if someone is you know willing to bank on the upside, the Chiefs as well. I mean, they have two first-round picks, right? So you do have a little bit of flexibility. If you want to take a safe guy with one, you know, take a swing for the fences with one for the other. It's definitely possible. I would err on the side that he's more of a day two guy for sure, uh, with a lot with a lot of projection to go. But you know, we've seen we've seen crazy things in round one. Teams are always willing to take those chances if they like the upside enough.
1: Absolutely, and that, that's why I think he could be a guy that would just potentially sneak in. As as we kind of wrap this por- portion of the conversation up, Dave is going to get the mock draft ready i'm gonna talk about our sponsor lake monster brewing where we will be live friday night starting at 5 30 to talk about day two of the nfl draft so i'll be sitting there with uh, all the guys matt miles ryan and we're i'm gonna be sipping on a nice little como called pilsner a couple sours maybe a porter i don't know we'll see kind of where the night takes us but we're going to be having jersey giveaways there's going to be swag available as well and you'll be able to come up and interact with us, ask questions, have a beer, and just enjoy day two of the draft at our great sponsors, Lake Monster Brewing. And the last mock draft of draft season is upon us. Dave, let's get a rocking and rolling.
0: Welcome to Climbing the Pockets Mock Draft Mondays. Who will the Vikings pick and who's your favorite choice?
1: All right. We are here for the final mock draft of the season. Ian, it's pretty simple. We're just going to do a a three-round mock draft. Uh, Nick, I see you're asking for a seventh rounder. I just dropped one of those. What I would do for the Minnesota Vikings for the Vikings Wire. Uh, Go ahead and check that out. And then uh, feel free to DM me with any questions. I would love to talk about it. Um, I will not be doing the mock in the Milton voice either. Um, Ian, pretty simple. Um, uh, uh, You're in charge here. I I have obviously talked about ad nauseum about what I think the Vikings should do, what I think they will do. But we want to kind of turn it – We turn the segment over to the experts and kind of let you guys take over and see how you would fix the Minnesota Vikings. So, Dave, if you would, please get it started and let's rock and roll. As you kind of go into this, Ian, what is your um, idea on how you want to fix the Vikings? What kind of strategy are you going to employ tonight?
2: yeah so i mean the biggest thing is just playing the value on the board right i think you always have to go with that like i'm usually gonna it's bpa versus need is always the debate but to me you know, each one exists on a spectrum, like maybe you need this position a little bit more, but the value is much better at another position, you know, maybe you take that other position just because of the, the value equation, right? So I'm trying to analyze that from all perspectives, obviously, the Vikings have, you know, a number of different needs to different degrees. And what we're trying to figure out is like, you know, which position has the best value? And is it enough to offset that need difference? So that's kind of what we're looking at here, just kind of playing the value on the board and see what comes out.
1: Perfect. Uh, as you take a look at the uh, trade offer here from the Arizona Cardinals, uh, is that something that is appealing to
2: you, Ian? Uh, if I can see it real quick, yeah, I'm zooming in uh, on 23.56 and uh... 55
1: and a third next year
2: it's a little enticing. Let's, let's, let's table it for now. Let's not reject it. Let's, we can click outside the screen, I think, and, and kind of, uh, or click next, click the next button on the top right corner. And, uh, we can go past it. Um, Oh, the Falcons are offering a lot of picks too. What the, let's, okay, let's go. Actually, that, that's trading like, out of first round. So yeah, I probably wouldn't. The, do but that. they're
1: the interesting things. They're offering both their seconds, both their thirds and a second next year. So, I remember uh, talking with Dave. He uh, did a mock draft where they offered him that exact same trade. And on the Rich Hill trade chart, the Vikings win by like 70-some points. So that mm-hmm. that's quite a big deal. But it, it's too reminiscent for me of the trade that the rookie Jacksonville Jaguars GM made in draft day where he, gave, he traded six overall for three seconds.
2: Yeah, so it's like, for me personally, like, I would rather stay in round one. Like, I love the capital, for sure, and you should see me play Madden. Like, I'm trading veterans. I'm I'm getting 20 <laughs> picks before the draft in Madden, but, you know, here I think we gotta stick with the value on the board, stick with the first round pick, and try and get a good player here. So, uh, we will keep the trade offers, you know, on call, for sure. But look at what the board is, and I don't know, man. You've got Trayvon Walker, which he probably doesn't fall this far. Again, I, sometimes with the mock draft simulators, sometimes the you know, out the kind of out there outcomes happen, right? You know, with all the probabilities. so I'm gonna I'm gonna work with the assumption that he's not there, just because you know, that's kind of unrealistic. But looking at who's on the board, you got Jermaine Johnson, you got Derek Stingley, and I think those are the first two that I look at. I think with but I think with the Vikings, you know, signing Zedarius Smith, you still got Daniil Hunter. So you do have a little bit of immediate utility there. Whereas at corner, there's a lot less there. And I think with Derek Stingley, you know, at Donatelle, you know, coming from the Fangio tree, exotic blitzes, you need your corners to play on an island if they if they can. You know, so I think I'm looking at Derek Stingley. I'm saying he's probably the BPA for me anyway. So I would probably pick Derek Stingley here at number 12. Uh, We were talking about it, you know, when we were analyzing the mock drafts, you know, if I hadn't traded back, probably would have picked Stingley here. So I'm just going to go with that second outcome and take Derek Stingley.
1: Okay, and uh, I'll ask you this as we kind of load up. One of the biggest uh, things that I noticed with Stingley is there was obviously that regression from uh, 2019, and he was on arguably the best college football team that's ever existed. Do you think him being on such an elite team with how those circumstances played out impacted how good his play was versus what we saw after that?
2: Me, personally, I don't think so. And I think that, you know, in 2020, he was a lot better than given credit for. And even when he was healthy in 2021, you know, I think that looking at what he how he plays, you know, especially corner, you know, a lot of the good reps are when you're not getting thrown at. Right. And I think with Stanley, you know, that's kind of his bread and butter. Right. Is like he has the elite short area, short area athleticism to match guys very good technique for his age i mean even in in 2019 he was hitting wide receivers with that kick slide you know to press him close to the sideline right so you know he's a technician he's patient he's disciplined you know and i think that a lot of times in 2020 you know he didn't have the elite ball production but he was still matching guys and, and staying in phase and locking down wide receivers so you know i look at that elite man coverage corner and i'm thinking you know hey he's got everything i want so me personally I think that you look at you, you kind of put his play in a silo. You know, you kind of look at it independently, and it still holds up to scrutiny. So, and the traits are there too. So, I think getting him in an NFL training room with the NFL coaches and NFL development could get him back to that 2019 level and even beyond that. So, it's a fun pick. I, I'm willing to bank on the upside for sure.
1: Totally understand willing to bank on the upside, and we're looking at the second round. We've got the top two players in the border positions. The Vikings really don't quote-unquote, need at this point, even though you could argue for both of them with Sam Howell and Kenneth Walker Jr. David Ojabo is an interesting one. You also have Roger McCreary, Travis Jones, Jahan Dotson, Drake Jackson, who has not gotten a lot of love because of how poorly used he was at USC, Chad Movement, DeMarvin Leal, Trey McBride, and Kyler Gordon. When you take a look at the board, Ian, what is your first instinct?
2: So my first instinct is edge rusher because I got a couple ones that I really like here. And, you know, you mentioned Ajabo and Drake Jackson. You know, Ajabo is a little bit higher rated on my board, but he is not going to be healthy for the next year. So he's pretty much probably going to take a red shirt. You know, we've been hearing optimistic reports about his recovery. Maybe he's back in December or something. You know, yeah, I wouldn't go McCreary, especially after we just picked Stingley. You know, I don't think he needed double dip quite this early a corner. You know, maybe, maybe double dip in round three or round four. But you know, I think with this round two, go somewhere else. I'm looking at, you know, a jabbo and 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 Drake Jackson because I do think Ajabo and Sean Ryan too. I mean, is he is he on the board right now? If he's on, he the, board, on the board, then I would definitely I would definitely consider that because you got Jesse Davis at right guard, right? We gotta change that. So I think um you know Sean Ryan is a very, a very fun player. You know, I think Ryan, you look at playing at left tackle at UCLA, you know, the biggest knock on his tape is the shorter arm length, but at the same time, elite core strength. Very powerful hands. He's got a mauler mentality, very good knee bend and athleticism, too. So I think you put Sean Ryan on the interior alongside Brian O'Neill. I mean, that is a physical right side of the line. I would I would pay to see that. So it's down to Ajabo, Drake Jackson, and I think Sean Ryan. Maybe Petrie, you know, I don't know. Petrie is is his tough one because how does he project, right? Like I think that, you know, at Baylor, he played a lot in the slot. And I think how he best projects in the NFL is in that hybrid star slot role, you know, kind of hybrid slot linebacker type deal. So, you know, if you're putting him in too high, you know, how's he going to fare there? A little bit too much of a projection for me in that role to say that I would take him this high. Drake Jackson, we got fans of Drake Jackson, man. I am torn. What do you think about this one, Tyler? Who are you leaning?
1: It's really hard to say no to Ojabo, but... With an Achilles and how he wins, he wins with explosiveness. Is he ever going to be able to regain that explosion because of the Achilles injury? And you generate so much of that from your lower half and especially pushing off of the ground. And your Achilles is a big part of that, which is why a lot of guys tend to tear them. Um, I like the idea of Ojabo. I think Drake Jackson, I, I love the upside. There's potential of him maybe being a top 10 player in this class going into the year. But there's just there's just so many questions surrounding him. I don't know if it's
2: necessarily the right value. Um, I would consider a double dip corner here. Yeah, like here's the thing yep. with Drake Jackson for me. You know, like looking at him and a Javo side by side, the upside is the thing that's tantalizing with both of them. Now the separation mm-hmm. is that Drake Jackson will be available right away, and he won't have to spend a year rehabbing, and you know maybe he would be better spent developing, right? So I think that you know, and I saw a question: Does he have the upside? you know, I think around 6'3", 273, so he's big, he's a thick-built dude, but he still tested very well at his pro day, he's got 34-inch arms, right, so very good length, very good power capacity, I think he had a 36.5-inch vert and a 127-inch broad, so the explosiveness definitely shows up on tape, the flexibility shows up on tape, you know, the hand usage still needs refinement, but like you said, the way they used him, I think that kind of subtracted from that a little bit, so looking at the upside with Drake Jackson, man, you know, Here's the thing. I, I, I like the idea of double dipping a corner too, but I do think there's enough depth in this class where maybe you can get a good corner in round three or round four even. So I think, yeah, I would like to go guard here too there. That's the thing. And Sean Ryan is a little bit higher on my board than Drake Jackson. So, you know, ruling out a job. Ruling out a Jabo, we can say either Ryan or Drake Jackson. Uh, Jabo, I, I love the talent, but again, he's not going to be available right away. Now, obviously, if you have Zedaria Smith and Janelle Hunter, you know you have enough u- immediate utility with those veterans where you can afford to let J- oh, Jabo sit a year and then unleash him in 2023. But right now, let's go for immediate utility. It's a tough one, man, but I am going to go with uh, Drake Jackson. We'll try and get a guard and a, and a corner later on.
1: All right. Drake Jackson, it is at forty six. Producer Dave is grumpy in the truck because of the disrespect to the round bellies. Um, Dave is a former offensive lineman and defensive lineman, so he is a big fan of the trench, guys. 77, we give that up to go to 88 and get Dallas' fourth next year. What do you think?
2: Uh, No, let's stay here. Let's stay here. All right. In in this year's the drafts. The value kind of you know kind of decreases a little bit, right? You know, there's kind of a cliff that it hits. So I want to see if there's some second round value players still on the board that we can pounce on. You know, I think I think that's the better the better deal here.
1: And this is interesting because the Arif Hasan compiles the consensus board every year, and you have a lot of very vocal people that love Sky Moore. And right now on your board ah, for Pro Football Network, Ian, he is still available. And it it looks like he is ranked at number 70. The consensus board has him at 57. So even though that vocal minority is speaking of him incredibly highly, he is not thought of in that same light. Uh, So he's available here. The other guy that's incredibly intriguing, um, Logan Hall. I love me some Logan Hall. You don't see many guys.
0: We should be back.
1: All right. Well, hey, that is fantastic news. Um, If you you are still with us, we apologize about the inconvenience. Somebody in Austin, Texas, decided to hit a poll that knocked out uh, Dave's Internet. So uh, we just hope that they are okay. And we are going to continue and finish this mock draft with me today. If you don't know who he is, he is Ian Cummings. He is a pro football network draft analyst. We have Nick back in the chat. We appreciate you sticking around with us. Ian, in this mock draft so far, you have selected for the Minnesota Vikings, Derek Stingley Jr. at number 12, and Drake Jackson, the edge from USC, at 46. And we were just starting to talk about the guys on the board, uh, because one of the guys that you have, Sky Moore, you have ranked at 70 as the, on the PFN Consensus. And he and the Arif Hassan's consensus board ranks at 57, where you hear a lot of the vocal minority talking about how much they love Sky more and they value him. But it doesn't seem like the rankings fit in the same. When you take a look at him, do you believe he's going to be there in the third round? And what kind of player do you think he's going to be moving forward at the NFL level?
2: Yeah, looking at where it's been trending, uh it, it's looking like he's trending a little bit higher and I do have him a little bit higher than this. I remember when we talked about it, we were thinking, yeah, put him at seventy so there's a chance that he sneaks into the second round, but it may be time it maybe do uh move him up a little bit more because he is a very talented player. And I remember when I wrote up a scouting report, you know. The thing that really stuck out to me, if there's such thing as a violent route runner, you know this guy is it. I mean, he's so twitchy, so sudden with his movements the, at the line. And I agree, you know, I, I I doubt he'd be here. So we can operate with the assumption that he wouldn't be here at this pick and look at other options on the board. Uh, going to let's let's switch to offensive guard if we can. I want to see the options there because I know you know we may we uh, we skipped Sean Ryan and Dave wasn't a fan of that. So let's see if we can get an interior offensive lineman and uh, get a get a big belly guy out here. So I look at Cole Strange, obviously, you know, very athletic player who I thought showed out pretty well at the Senior Bowl. Um, He's a little bit, I would like him to get a little bit stronger, you know, play strength. He's, you know, not lacking in physical strength, but, you know, on the field, it doesn't always translate. But at the Senior Bowl was a very resilient player, very good leverage, you know, very good athleticism. I do think that the upside is there. Put him a right guard uh, next to Brian O'Neill could be a very good player. You know, I do think. Right now on this board it looks like he's probably the best guy. Jamari Salier is another one. He's ranked a little bit lower here, but I do think he can be a very good player. I think that the key with Salier is that he translates better to guard. You know, he played tackle in college. I think you put him at guard. You know, he's one of those guys who's like around 6'2", 320, you know, 34-inch arms, so very good power capacity with that length and can use that to drive guys back. But let's go Cole Strange here because I think it's a good value with the athleticism that he has. You know, they love athletic offensive linemen, and Strange can play center or guard. He's got that interior flexibility, which really helps him out there.
1: And as Nick kind of uh, asks in the chat, do you think that because of the lack of picking up that fifth-year option, that the Vikings are going to prioritize taking a center over a guard in the middle rounds because it is viewed as that more premium position?
2: I could see that for sure. You know, I think that, especially in this class, it's a little thin at the center position. Like, there's some guys who can play both. But if you're the Vikings, you know, I would definitely use one of those middle-round picks on a center. You know, I think it's not just Cole Strange. Like, he can definitely play it. But there's other guys that could be options, too. Cam Jurgens from Nebraska is one that I really like. A little undersized, again. But, you know, in that zone scheme can be a very good player. I think that Luke Fordner from Kentucky is pretty underrated. I have a day-two grade on him. And I think he'll be a very solid player for a long time. Donovan West from Arizona State. You know, Dylan Parham can play center. You know, there's a lot of options for the Vikings, you know, in this class. Again, a little thinner, but if you find the right player, you know, there's a lot of versatility out there, and that's the key for you, you know. So I think if you're the Vikings, you got to circle one of those guys and try and get them in that center room. Because if you're not extending Garrett Bradbury, which at this point, I don't know why you would, I think it's better to cut ties and, you know, just decline that fifth year option and let him move on to free agency, you know, set the course, you know, set a new course at center. You know, I think this is a good class to do that.
1: It absolutely is. And, uh when you take a look at this this group, it's hard to really argue because you hit three really good players uh, at value at positions of need, and you really can't do the NFL draft better than that. Ian, we greatly appreciate your time. Um, I know this is an insanely busy week for all of us in the draft community. Um, why don't you tell the people where they can find you, what you have going on, and uh, what tell the people what PFN has going on in store uh, for draft weekend.
2: Yes, yeah, so you can follow me at Ian underscore Cummings underscore nine on Twitter. Uh, PFN is at PFN365. What we have going on, uh we're doing a big board update. I think it's coming out tomorrow, actually. Or I, I still got to finalize mine, but it'll come out tomorrow or the next day. A final big board update before the NFL draft. We're working on 2023 guys already, too, trying to roll over guys in the next cycle. So we're preparing for that. But first off, we got the 2022 NFL draft on Thursday. And what we're going to do. We're going to do live grading for all 32 teams. Uh, we're going to update those articles periodically with each pick. And then we're going to have 2023 mock uh, after the first day, uh, after the final day, you know, round two and three mock, round four through seven mock, you know, everything you can imagine. We've got to cover over there. So got a, a busy weekend ahead, but you know, that's what we signed up for. So happy to, happy to finally be here and you know, kind of at the end of the uh, end of the cycle and, you know, kind of building up to see what happens.
1: Absolutely. And in just two, three days, we will know who is going where with the first 32 picks in the NFL draft. Uh, Dave, uh, we would like to f- officially welcome your face into the show. Hey. Um, we took a round belly for you. So I know yes, that I you appreciate
0: happy. that.
1: Yeah, And, and one the to Vikings, play
0: center. That's a good idea.
1: Yes, hopefully the Vikings will do the exact same here this weekend. Tell the good people what we have going on this week because I know it is a lot and it's going to be a good time.
0: Tomorrow night, we have In the Huddle, and we have various climbing the pocket personalities, including Jonas from Germany, joining to do a full round or a full seven round live mock draft. It'll be the first time we do a seven rounder here on the network this season. Wednesday, we have Vikings happy hour, I believe. Still haven't got confirmation on that. And then Thursday, we start it from the beginning. Before NFL goes live, we will. Wall-to-wall coverage of this year's NFL draft. Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Now, the special one is Friday from Lake Monster Brewing, where you have a chance to win a jersey, two UNL or UNRL sweatshirts that are absolutely sweet. And free beer from Lake Monster. Can't beat that for nothing. You get a chance to talk live on the air with our hosts and question: did the Vikings do well on day one? And have they done well so far during day two in the draft? Express your opinions, have good times, drink great beer, and have fun. And Saturday, we'll wrap up the final rounds and close it all out for the week. Should be an absolute blast.
1: It absolutely should. And make sure you're on the lookout for me. This morning I dropped a what I would do seven-round Vikings mock draft for the Vikings Wire. I have, later on this week, a seven-round mock draft Prediction of what Kwesi Adolfo Mensah will be doing in this upcoming draft. I had a piece released today. <laughs> yes, I had a piece released today from NBC Sports Chats predicting four trades, including one that we saw Ian do in a different way: the Kansas City Chiefs trading up to get Jamison Williams because the fit just makes sense. And then I'll have uh, pieces before day two and day three with guys that you should keep your eye on and why th- why it matters where they end up going. In the meantime, thank you for spending this draft cycle with us here on Monday night. And thank you again to Ian for coming on and providing some fantastic insight and a different perspective on this Vikings team. Until then, where Dave and I become the Marathon Men once again, we will see you on Thursday. Skull, everybody. Get excited. It's draft time. Thanks, Ian. Skull (laughs) Vikings!
0: Thanks for watching. Like, subscribe, and ring the bell and rate us on your favorite aggregator. And a special shout out goes to our partners, the Daily Norseman, where the best Vikings content can be found, and to Lake Monster Brewing, home of the best beer in Minnesota. Skull, everybody.